Hello, friends. This is Alan Kirshner from Eschatos Ministries. The impact of Bible Prophecy Daily has exceeded our expectations, with regular listeners downloading all over the world. If you are finding value in these podcasts as they help you prepare for our Lord's return, would you consider giving to Eschatos Ministries? Simply click the support button in the corner of the podcast website at BibleProphecyDaily.com. Your support will help us maintain the delivery of this daily one-of-a-kind podcast. Thank you. You're listening to Bible Prophecy Daily, a weekday podcast where Bible prophecy matters and matters greatly. We are blessed to have Alan Kirshner with us this morning, and uh, Alan is from, I like to tease him, he's, uh, he lives about five minutes from the North Pole, <laughs> not exactly, but upper Wisconsin, and uh, he likes to fish, ice fish, <laughs> and uh, so um, we're delighted to have him. He flew in yesterday uh, from Wisconsin, and that's quite a production for you, right, just because of where you live? Uh, I don't, out in the boondocks, is that okay for me to say? Yeah. All right, out in the boondocks, um, out in the country, and uh, a beautiful, beautiful area of the country, but he has, he woke up uh, early in the morning, he takes a, he drives an hour to get a shuttle that takes him another two and a half hours to Minneapolis, and then he overnighted in Minneapolis um, to get an early morning flight so he could be here yesterday afternoon. So, so give him a round of applause for all that effort to be here. <laughs> and then tomorrow morning, I'll, exactly 24 hours from now, I'll be uh, splitting firewood, teach my son how to stack firewood for the next winter because you have to prepare a year out. So, I picked Alan up at the, <laughs> I picked him up at the airport yesterday, and he said, "Wow, it's like you blink your eyes and you're in a whole new, it's a whole new realm, you know, being here walking through town and." from where he was from, but we're delighted to have you with us and looking forward to our time together. Um, so for uh, the first part of the session, I'm just going to uh, just ask Alan a little bit about himself because for some of you, you may not be familiar with him and uh, he is uh, quite accomplished and want, uh, I told him, I said, don't feel, don't feel bad, just brag on yourself, it's okay, I'm gonna open it up and you can tell us about all the, the letters he has in front of his name, uh, all of the, the things that he's done, but he is a scholar um, and a writer with an emphasis uh, on teaching the book of Revelation. So uh, we'll, we'll let you uh, get to know him a little bit in just a moment. But this morning, why don't we start with a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our time together. We thank you for these dear friends, um, that they would take time out of their schedule to be here with us um, on this Thursday morning. Uh, we thank you for um, their uh, love for you. Uh, for their interest in things eternal and their interest in the prophetic scriptures. And uh, we, that says a lot that they are here um, on a Thursday morning uh, to hear more from you and to learn. And so we're grateful for these dear friends. We pray that you would bless them. Uh, we thank you for Alan, for his ministry, um, for his uh, love for you, for the work that he has done through so many years um, to, to write and to teach and uh, we're grateful that he can be with us here today. We pray that, uh, above all, that you would be honored and glorified through what is said here today. 
and uh, that we would all uh, be benefit and be blessed as a result of our time together. We thank you in our precious Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so Alan, I told them a little bit about where you're from, uh, but share a little bit about your family and uh, what you're involved in. Sure. Uh, I married a Jersey girl, so moved out to Jersey for 10 years, and somehow I persuaded this East Coast Jersey girl to move to uh, Wisconsin a few years ago. She thought I moved her to the North Pole, but, uh, uh, but yeah, she's acclimating sl very slowly. And I have a uh, six-year-old boy. His name's Andrew. He'll be seven next month. And uh, so, yeah, I, I'm a Wisconsinite. I grew up in Wisconsin and uh, live in northern Wisconsin, as you know. So you like the cold. Your wife likes the warm, though. Yes, yes. We kind of have a joke. She prefers to, uh, she grew up in the Jersey Shore, so she prefers to stick her, her feet in this, the hot sand, and I prefer to put my feet in the, the cold snow, you know, with, uh, I shouldn't say cold snow because I got mucklucks, you know, those are like the warmest boots you can possibly have, and I like to go snowshoeing and ice fishing and so what, forth. What typical temperatures do you have? What, what's your coldest temperatures through the year? Uh, you know, around January, you can go about three to four weeks where at some point in the day, every day, it can get, you know, wind chill negative 20 degrees. Uh, so, it, and then it, it'll warm up to a balmy maybe negative five degrees. You know? so, <laughs> but I, I mean, that's not the average whole winter in northern Wisconsin, but we have that Alberta wind chill that comes down and sweeps through northern Minnesota and comes through uh, northern Wisconsin. So. Well, we're having you down, Lord willing, again in January. Yeah, so that's going to be nice. Up, you can warm yeah, up I here for a few days. My wife will want to insist on coming down at that time. So. <laughs> Uh, tell us a little bit about your ministry, uh, what you're involved in, and some of the work that you've been doing recently. So, uh, Eschatos Ministries, been doing that for over 10 years, and really the, the, the mission of that is to, twofold, one is to proclaim the good news in the dark world, because we need the good news, and the good news of the second coming of Christ. So the gospel, the good news is not just the first coming, but it's also the second coming of Christ. Uh, and so uh, that is um, monumental in our mission uh, because we can have a lot of head knowledge of biblical prophecy, but if we don't uh, put it to heart, and we're going to need this understanding, as Jesus says in Matthew 24, 25, remember I have told you this ahead of time. Uh, that's our, our, our verse, our ministry verse, because Jesus warns that, you know, he says, Jesus could have said, remember, I, I have told you these things, referring to the Great Tribulation and so forth. Uh, but he says, remember, I have told you this ahead of time. Uh, why is that? I think it's a, a sober implication that when these events begin to happen, uh, it's going to be too late to get your spiritual house in order. Uh, nobody's going to be having Bible prophecy conferences during the Great Tribulation. We're not going to be meeting here during the Great Tribulation. Uh, that's why Jesus says, understand these events beforehand, that is, when they, when they happen, then you can have the peace of mind to understand why the persecution is happening. You're not going to be fretting around, fretting, fretting around like the Thessalonians did, because when the Thessalonians were experiencing persecution, they thought this was God's wrath. And interestingly, today, one of the most prevalent views out there believes that Antichrist persecution is God's wrath. And sadly, I think a lot of Christians, when the, the Antichrist Great Tribulation begins, 
they are going to think that this is God's wrath because they were taught that, and they're going to think they missed the rapture, and they're going to be very vulnerable to the schemes of the Antichrist. And this is exactly why Jesus says, remember, I have told you this uh, ahead of time. So the goal of Eschatos Ministries is to educate people, prepare them for the difficult times coming. And it's also to produce original scholarship uh, for the pre-wrath, pre-millennial perspective. Uh, original scholarship in, in the sense of, I mean, pre-wrath has been around for just over 30 years. However, uh, there's a lot more to be discovered. The Holy Spirit is still working in the church and working in the sense of giving us new insights into biblical prophecies. So we're, there's a lot more to be explored, a lot more uh, exegetical arguments and so forth. In fact, I've start, I'm just starting a, a commentary, online commentary on the book of Revelation uh, at revelationcommentary.com uh, and where I will be progressively working through the book of Revelation and ultimately producing a, a, an exhaustive, comprehensive commentary on the book of Revelation from a pre-wrath perspective. Good. And I would just add, you had mentioned that pre-wrath has been around about around 30 years or so. Um, and I, I know you would concur that the, the concept of the timing and sequence of Christ's coming has been here since since the Lord in terms of what he what he shared the system systemization of it and maybe the name you know is more recent but the early church fathers many of them would concur with with the position of pre-wrath rapturism uh, tell us a little bit about uh, some of the other works that you've been involved in um, in the last several years the most recent one is is a uh, I co-edited a, a book with Stanley Porter called The Future Restoration of Israel, or a response to supersessionism, and or uh, aka replacement theology. So we're res uh, this book, it's 200,000 words, and it's the most extensive book ever written uh, on the subject of the future restoration of Israel. Uh, and we have, we invited 20 scholars to, read, to uh, write a chapter each uh, in this in this book, and again, you can find that on Amazon or, or somewhere. But yeah, the future res restoration of Israel, really doing a, a, a really big pushback to uh, theologians who believe that God doesn't have any more purpose for for Israel. That the promises given to Israel in the Old Testament those are nullified or they've been transferred uh, to the church. So we, we uh, it's a major work, and so I recommend getting that book. Uh, another book that I wrote uh, called, it's just called Pre-Trib, examining the foundations of pre-tribulation rapture theology. And this book is kind of a first of its kind because there's never been a, a book responding to pre-tribulationism focusing just on what I consider the, the foundations of pre-tribulationism. There's two foundations. And so that, that book, uh, I think it's I think you guys are selling that here as well. Um, but yeah, pre-trib, and it's a, it, it's a long overdue book. And it, of course, is from a pre-wrath perspective. And then Antichrist Before the Day of the Lord. Yeah, Antichrist Before the Day of the Lord. This is my book on more of a full-orbed pre-wrath uh, presentation of the pre-wrath perspective. I, I did write a slimmed-down version of the book called just Pre-wrath. That's, that's the main title. Um, and yeah. 
Good. Well, listen, I want I to turn our attention to something you had mentioned in the most recent book, the larger one um, that you were talking about regarding Israel. Um, so for the duration of this session, I'd like, to, uh, I'd like to take something that is very current. You're seeing in the last week and a half what is taking place in Israel as it relates to uh, the massacre coming in from the Palestinian terrorists uh, Hamas coming into Israel and the massacre that took place there, not to rehash all of the details um, of that and the ongoing campaign, but to, but to use that as a, because it's so front and center right now in all of our thinking and what's on television 24-7. Um, and, I, and I suspect that this will continue for uh, many more weeks, if not months, uh, in, in the future as it relates to what's going on over there. Um, and, the, and the ongoing conflict. But you will come down on this conflict in terms of your understanding of it and where the, where it, what is right and what is wrong, uh, how, how Israel is connected to all of this, how the Palestinians are connected to this, how the other nations of the Middle East are connected to all of this. You will come down on that in large measure, particularly as a believer. Uh, you will come down on that based on your understanding of Israel and based on your understanding of biblical history as it relates to Israel. And so for the duration of the session, um, we're just talking kind of informally here. Um, so we're gonna kind of jump around a little bit, but I, wanna, I want to help you understand and maybe help the broader body of believers to understand that theology is so critically important in terms of the current events that you're seeing taking place right now and specific theology as it relates to Israel and God's plan and program for Israel. So there are various viewpoints in terms of how you would interpret scripture uh, from a, which kind of perspective that you would look at from the prophetic aspect of God's word. So when you're reading about the prophecies in the Bible, where do you place them? Where do you see them? And this is foundational. We don't wanna, I don't wanna lose you here, but it's so foundational to our understanding of the events taking place today and in the future. Um, so I'm gonna ask Alan if you want to uh, explain a little bit about some of the viewpoints that people would have in terms of their understanding or their interpretation of biblical prophecy as, it, uh, as it's enunciated in scripture. Uh, as an example, if you take a preterist uh, point of view, what does that mean? Um, and what is, the, what is the outgrowth of having or taking that perspective on biblical prophecy? Uh, preterist is uh, an outlook or a posture approaching biblical prophecy in which when they look at the key biblical prophecy passages, passages such as uh, the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, 25, Luke 21, or the book of Revelation and Daniel, uh, they come to the text with this understanding that this, these are not future events. These are events that were played out roughly in the first century, AD 70. And so, for example, the Great Tribulation mentioned in Matthew 24, they would say, well, that Great Tribulation uh, occurred uh, in AD 70 with the destruction of Israel. Uh, even, even some preterists will say that when it talks about Jesus coming on the, on the clouds, they'll say, well, that was more of a more of a, in a, um, a spiritual sense, uh, that was the parousia. And even though they may affirm a future resurrection, a lot of these events, again, in the book of Revelation, all of the discourse, he would say it was fulfilled uh, in, in, in the first century. And so 
the idea that you know Israel and what's happening over in Israel has prophetic significance vis-a-vis uh, -vis maybe the Antichrist um, uh, emerging soon or, or, or other events related to it, they would see that as, uh, th they would uh, nullify that and, and they wouldn't see any significance in that uh, because for them, the next event is just simply that Jesus will return and then we're ushered into eternal state. Uh, so it's interesting watching some of the responses to what's happening to Israel, or at least certain whether they're theologians or, or pastors who don't believe that God is going to fulfill his promises with Israel in the future. Some of these preterist theologians, uh, they don't know what to do with Israel, or they just kind of dismiss, dismiss it as, okay, yes, God is sovereign, and, uh, and, and what's happening in Israel is just playing out of you know, the, the nation's rage against the Lord, and that's about the extent of any, any specificity in terms of fulfillment. So they would be considered replacement theologians, and uh, again, they, they would view it as nothing more insignificant than something happening in, say, between North Korea or South Korea. So, and so essentially, if you take the position of, of being a preterist, where you believe that the prophecies in Scripture were already fulfilled largely in the first century um, with the destruction of the temple uh, in 70 AD, um, then you don't see so much of what's in Scripture as pointing to the future, right? So whereas futurists, where you and I would be futurists, um, we see the prophetic events um, listed in scripture, uh, prophesied in scripture as many of them. Some of them had a short-term fulfillment through the Bible where they were fulfilled, and we can see those fulfillments scripturally. Um, but we also see an ultimate end times fulfillment for a lot of these prophetic scriptures in the future. Thus, we would call ourselves futurists, correct? Um, so the logical, and you touched on it, the logical outgrowth of being a preterist. And folks, this is not just scholarly stuff. This is, this is your whole point of view, your whole world view as it relates to your understanding of Scripture and the prophecies in Scripture. If you are reading the Bible and you are reading these prophetic texts and you believe they've already been fulfilled historically, by and large, then, then your understanding or concern or interest in Israel is, is next to nil. At best, you're apathetic about what happens in Israel. And at worst, it can lead to, or come in a, as an outgrowth of, of being anti-Semitic. Um, through history, a lot of the mainline denominations, and even to this day, a lot of the mainline denominations are preterist. They believe that the prophecies in scripture were all fulfilled historically. Many of them are replacement in terms of their theology, where they believe that there is, that, that the church has replaced Israel in God's plan and program. And some of them are anti-Semitic and they would go back to, well, Israel rejected uh, Jesus Christ and the Jews put him on the cross and therefore God has turned his back on Israel and Israel is no longer, uh, essentially God has divorced uh, his, his covenant nation. Um, but many of them would not go that far. They would just be apathetic um, towards Israel. They don't see that Israel has any significant place 
in the future. And so therefore, many mainline denominations, and again, I don't want to make this an issue of politics per se, uh, but it does touch on those things. Many of these mainline denominations are anti-Israel and pro-Palestinian. And the reason, in, in many instances, is because they do not understand the historical precedent and the covenant that God made with his people Israel. And they believe that that has now uh, uh, been, been uh, annulled, and therefore you have, uh, you have a focus on, uh, not, is, not on what's happening in Israel, not interested in Israel. Israel has no entitlement to the land. This is an issue you're watching in the news. You're watching in the news, you have two groups of people essentially who are saying this is our land. And the Palestinians are talking about occupation, that the Jews are occupying our land. Well, I, I hate to break it to them, but uh, I will. If, if you want to go back, God gave the land of Israel to the Jewish people, and he promised it to Abraham and to his posterity through Isaac and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God made it very clear. So he promised, he promised a land, a specific land, to Abraham's descendants through Abraham, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So that land is, is a God-given covenant that was made to Israel. And so if you understand that, and you're watching the current conflict, you, you understand that the Jewish people believe through, through the scriptures that they have, that, was, that were given to them by God, and the covenant promise that was given to Abraham, that that is their land. Now you have people who came much later who say, no, 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 you know, we have historic precedent to the land, so we control the land, it's ours, and Israel is occupying our land. So what you have is this, these two, two competing ideologies for this land. And it's not just the Palestinians, it's the entire Arab world. It's the entire Middle East. And, and I made this point last week, and I'm gonna make it again. If you look at a map of, of the Middle East, and you see that all of the nations, by and large, in the entire Middle East are all Islamic nations. They're not all, per se, Arab nations. The Iranians are Persian. The Turks are Turks. The Egyptians are Egyptian. The Saudis are Arabs. But what unites them, in large measure, is Islam, their religious ideology. But they, but they use this religious ideology that they have, and they use specifically the Palestinian people as a wedge issue against Israel. Now, why do millions and millions and millions of, of Muslims in the Arab world and all of these nations in the Middle East, with so much land and so much wealth, why are they so interested in tiny little Israel as a dot in the center of the Middle East, and why are they so interested in supporting the Palestinian people? And I mentioned this to you a week ago. If they were interested in helping the Palestinians to give them a better life, to care for them, to give them better living accommodations, to give them more freedom of movement, they could have done it a long time ago. The reason that, that Gaza is where it is and what it is, the reason that the areas of the West Bank, where a lot of Palestinians live, is what it is. The reason why historically you had other, other areas around Israel and within Israel proper where you had Palestinian people living, 
the reason that they're still there and the reason that we still have this issue that we're dealing with and that Israel is still dealing with is because the nations that surround Israel are intentionally using the Palestinian people as a wedge issue in terms of the international news media against God's chosen people. This is, this is the issue. And so the issue is, where do you come down on whose land it is? So if you're a biblicist and you're focused on what does the Bible say and what were God's covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then you understand that the land that we're talking about is the land that God gave to Israel as an everlasting inheritance. If you don't understand that, you're going to come down very differently. Now, that does not mean that I don't care and that we shouldn't care about the Palestinian people. All people need the gospel. All people need to be regenerated through saving faith through what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross of Calvary. So it doesn't mean that we don't care about those other people, but what, it, but what we should understand is that this conflict is rooted in whose land it is and who sovereignly gave the land. God sovereignly gave the land to the Jewish people. That is what the Bible says. If you don't like it, argue with God. So I want to go back now to the history, to the history of Israel, because when you look at Israel's history, you know, part of the problem we have today is people don't know history. People don't, they're not taught it. They're not taught it in school. They're certainly not taught it in our universities. So people are confused and they don't know what is right from wrong. So it's crucial to understand history. So I'm gonna ask Alan, um, let's go back and just in broad strokes, let's talk about the history of Jewish persecution um, in scripture. We have to go back to the, uh, the curse in the garden uh, with the serpent. God said that, God predicted that there would be a, a Messiah figure that would come and kill, this, eventually kill, uh, strike your head. Or, uh, in, in other words, uh, the serpent would be uh, killed. And so that was a messianic prediction. And so you have to understand that Satan wants to commit genocide against this people in which the Messiah would come through, the natural line, who would be Israel, that's who, uh, through the woman, uh, the Messiah would come through. So it's been Satan's ultimate aim to either commit genocide against Israel from Egypt to Hamas and everything in between, Nazi Germany, uh, Rome, Persia. And in the Old Testament, uh, there's also Satan's other strategy, not just try to commit genocide, he's never been able to accomplish that because of God's sovereignty, is to disqualify the people of God. Uh, we can think of a few instances in the Old Testament, such as uh, uh, you know, Nebuchadnezzar's statue, to, bo to bow down to it. Uh, you can think of the golden calf, right? Uh, many instances like that, to try to disqualify the people of God uh, in that it would then disqualify the Messiah. But in God's sovereignty, once again, he's always had a, a, a faithful remnant, even within the natural line of Israel, the faithful people of, of, of God in the larger uh, Israel, nation of Israel. And so when we look at what's, what's happening uh, with Hamas and their slogan from from the river to the sea, uh, 
this genocidal slogan is nothing new, uh, or the, the idea is nothing new. Uh, Satan's ultimate aim is to exterminate the, the, um, the Jewish people. And so, I don't know if you want to add to yeah, that. Yeah, I, I would say, and I agree um, totally, the sat- it was Satan's strategy from all the way from Genesis, as Alan mentioned, at the curse in the garden, that there would be a seed that would come, and that seed would crush, in an ultimate sense, Satan's head. And so, if you were, if you were thinking like Satan is thinking, and that is, okay, then I want to destroy the seed that will come to crush me. Well, where is that seed coming through? Well, that seed is coming through Israel. God raised up Abraham, and through Isaac and Jacob, a nation was, was born. And that nation, all through, is, all through the Old Testament, it is a historical account of God's dealing with his covenant people. Why is the Bible focused on God's covenant people? Because they are the ones through which redemption will come to all of humanity. All of us today, so far removed from those events, should care deeply with every aspect, with every fiber of our being. We should care deeply about that account in the Old Testament. Why? Because our redemption comes through that promised seed, Jesus Christ. And so the, the whole entire Old Testament is a historical account of God dealing with his covenant people, the people that he chose to be the vessel through which the promised seed would come. So if you're thinking as Satan would be thinking, he says, well, I don't want that promised seed to come. Therefore, I must destroy the people or the vessel through which that promised seed would be born into the world. And so his focus throughout the entire Old Testament is to use people and nations, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, the Greeks, and then up to the time of Christ, Romans, to use these nations to attack, to either attempt to destroy utterly the Jewish people or to discredit them in terms of pulling them into false worship system, into a pagan system, or to assimilate them, to assimilate them into cultures that no longer where they bec- they're not identified anymore ethnically because they intermarry into these other cultures and where they adopt false religious systems. So that has been Satan's attempt all the way through. And that's the reason that the Old Testament is detailing all of these things. Now, when you get to, when you get to the New Testament and you open to the book of Matthew, Matthew, this is, Matthew is such a pivotal, crucial book of the Bible. And, and I mentioned this to you before, if you've been here, and that is when Matthew opens, what does he start with? Genealogy. If you read through the Bible and you come to the genealogy, I, I know a lot of people, oh, the genealogy is so hard to read through the genealogy. The genealogy of Jesus Christ is so critically important. Matthew is screaming in his narrative that the promised seed from Genesis 3 is here. He has arrived. He is on the scene. The one, the one that has been promised, the one that would bring kingship to Israel, 
Israel's greatest king, he is the one and he is here. And what is Matthew saying? He has the, the royal bloodline, the bloodline of King David and Abraham. He has the power, he has the right, he has the authority, he has the credentials to be Israel's king. And then the whole book of Matthew is, is detailing the work of Jesus, who he is, what he's done, how he was preserved as a child, how, how he ministers, how he has power to raise the dead, to heal the sick, over nature, all of these things, is, Matthew is detailing the life of Jesus Christ to say he is Israel's king. Now, can you be a king over a people that don't exist? Or over a land that is no longer under control of the people that you're coming to be king over? So all of this is crucially important to the whole narrative. So now when you get to, when you get to the New Testament and the book of Matthew, you, had, you have Christ's first coming. So it was Satan's focus to destroy, as we said, the people that were the vessel through which the promised seed would come, to remove them out of the land that God had sovereignly given to them. That's why Israel was taken into captivity so many times, back and forth, and then God brought them back to the land. Each time they were taken, God brought them back to the land. He preserved them miraculously through their history. So it was Satan's attempt to destroy to discredit or to assimilate the Jewish people. Now, you get to the first coming of Jesus Christ. And what does Satan try to do at Christ's first coming? Kill him. To kill him. And Joseph is warned in a dream to take Jesus as a youngster to Egypt to protect him and then comes back. So there was an attempt even after Jesus' birth to kill him. And eventually, Satan thinks, ah, checkmate. I've put him on the cross. I've put him on the cross. But God in his sovereignty had a final move and he raised him again on the third day. So you think, okay, we're done. No, 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 no. Satan's strategy continues after Christ's first coming. So if you're thinking logically, like we had just enunciated to you from Genesis and what Satan's efforts would, uh, were, through Israel's history, to either destroy them, to discredit them, or to assimilate them. Do you think he's just gonna give up now? Of course not. So what is Satan doing after the first coming of Jesus Christ? He tries to kill him at his first coming, and he does in God's sovereign plan for the redemption of humanity. Jesus Christ dies on the cross, but he ra he's raised again on the third day. Now what, ha now what takes place? Who's Satan gonna go after? The people that were the vessel who brought the promised seed into the world, the Jewish people. So if you want to understand the persecution, you know, I talk to Jewish people in Israel and other places through the years, and I'll, I'll say, do you understand, does it make sense to you why you've been, your people have been so targeted through human history? And tears come to their eyes, and they, they, they feel like, they feel like the Jewish people are unique to God and they are special to God, but they don't understand the big picture. They scratch their heads and they don't understand why they have been so targeted and so persecuted. You know why? Because they don't understand that Jesus, that Yeshua, was the promised seed from Genesis chapter 3. They don't understand that their Messiah already came. 
and that he's coming again. So they scratch their heads and don't understand why the persecution, why the history, why the obsession of, the, of their neighbors who live in that whole region and the world to continually persecute them and to try to wipe them off the map. You know, all of that continued after the first coming of Jesus Christ. Persecution continued. You come to the Holocaust. The Holocaust. I have stood with many groups in Israel through the years outside of the Holocaust Memorial in Israel. It's called Yad Vashem. And I always try to take time because I know that when they go into the museum, the emotion runs high because you see the imagery of the persecution of the Jews at the hands of the Nazis. Absolute and utter evil and depravity. Hard to even understand how humans could do that to another human. But I say to the people before they go in, there is victory that came out of this Holocaust. Because it was another satanic attempt to wipe the Jews off the face of the earth. Why? Why do you think there was that attempt to do so? Because Satan understands that that same Jesus who came the first time to die for the sin of humanity is coming back the second time as king of Israel and king of kings and lord of lords. And he is coming back, as we said in the book of Matthew, as the legitimate heir to the throne of King David. He has the bloodline. He has the right, the power, the authority, and the credentials to be Israel's king. Satan doesn't want there to be a people group called the Jews living in Israel because he knows that the promised king of Israel and the seed that will crush his head back from Genesis chapter 3, is going to return, and I think very soon, and he's going to return as Israel's legitimate king. Amen. And therefore, Satan does not want a people group called the Jews living in Israel. Because how do you have a king of Israel coming back to rule and reign to a people that, doesn't, that don't exist and to a land that they don't control? So this is the satanic effort and the victory that came out of the horrors of the Holocaust was that God used what Satan intended to wipe the Jewish people from the earth. He used it as a vehicle to put them back in their ancient homeland, Israel. But do you think he's satisfied now that since 1948, Israel and the Jewish people are back in their ancient homeland? You think he's comfortable with that? No. He continues to do everything he can in his power to use people and nations to destroy the Jews once again. And so, ladies and gentlemen, you will come down on the conflict that you are witnessing on your televisions right now and what will be taking place in the future. You will come down on that based on your understanding or lack thereof of God's plan and program for the Jewish people and that Jesus Christ is returning as their greatest king. You will come down on whose land it is based on the covenant that God gave to the Jewish people 
for that land as an everlasting inheritance. Did you hear everlasting? It's in the Bible, everlasting inheritance. So when you have people groups saying, well, let's divide up the land and give some to this group of people, and let's divide it up and give some to this group of people, that won't work in God's economy. So this is the issue that, we're, that we are up against. And, and this is the issue that Israel is facing. And the tragedy is, is that right now, the Jewish people in Israel are relying on their military might. It's natural. You say, we have to do everything we can to protect ourselves. We have to do everything that we can. We can't rely on others because others have let us down through the centuries. When it comes down to it, they're very happy to see us destroyed or assimilated. We have to defend ourselves. And so for the majority of Israel today, they are trusting in their own might and in their own military. And it saddens me to say that that is not the solution to their conflict. What they should be doing and what there is a remnant within Israel who are looking to God, looking to their creator, looking to Israel's God, and they understand a remnant that God's son Jesus Christ is going to be returning very soon. And they are putting their, their hope and their faith and their trust in God's provision for the country. But sadly, most of the nation is either somewhat religious, but mostly secular, and they are trusting in their military might. And that isn't going to end well in the short term. We know that there is much told or specified in scripture in terms of uh, prophetic, prophetic events that will transpire as we're moving closer to the last days. Um, you want to take just a moment just to share a little bit about where things uh, are moving uh, prophetically, maybe some of the things that we should be watching for, um, and maybe something that will transpire that could come out of the current conflict that will move us ever closer to, to the return of, of Jesus Christ. Uh, well, I'll, I'll first of all, I want to mention before, I, just as a preface, you know, you mentioned um, the land, how that's important. And so there's kind of two factors, right? The extermination of Jews, that's Satan's goal, uh, but also the removal of the Jews from the land itself. Uh, that's always been in, in uh, the Evangelical Academy uh, in America. Many evangelical scholars will say, yeah, there, there's going to be a mass of Jews who are saved at when Jesus comes back. Uh, however, when you start talking about the land, all of a sudden, that's politically incorrect because they won't affirm the land. They'll affirm, yeah, there will be some Jews or a, a mass of Jews who will be saved, but once you start talking about land theology, whoa, don't want to touch that. So the land is very important. Um, nations have been trying to remove Israel from the land. If they can't commit genocide, at least get them out of the land. And the, um, even the beast, uh, the Antichrist, the beast will... will set up his kingdom in Jerusalem. There's a reason uh, why he sets it up there and not, say, northern Wisconsin. 
even though I think northern Wisconsin is the promised land, um, I, do, I do recognize that uh, the beast kingdom will be set up in Jerusalem. Uh, so, but as far as uh, your question, I, I just throw out one hypothesis, and that is here you have Israel relying on the military, and let's not assume they can win. Uh, they may lose a war uh, in God's sovereignty and in which they may need to rely on someone coming in and saying, hey, look, let's broker something, but here's the deal. Let's confirm something maybe for seven years. So something could come, you know, rapidly could, could uh, occur, and then they could, there could be other stipulations, of course, uh, maybe with the uh, reinstituting the, the sacrifices and, and uh, giving these certain conditions to Israel or the conservatives or Orthodox. And a, a lot of things, there can be a lot of, let's not assume like it has to be only this. It can be a lot of terms in a, in a covenant, however you understand that, uh, but it's those one or two that the Bible um, talks about. So just look at the details, I think, if, if there's any agreements coming down the road here. And, and again, assuming that, um, yeah, let's not assume, I mean, Israel has a wonderful military, but it's ultimately up to God whether they win or lose. Exactly. And, and we need to be watching carefully. Um, we, this is a pivotal moment. Um, you know, if you're, if you're seeing this as a, as a chessboard, the pieces are moving into place very rapidly. And something as significant as what we're seeing taking place in Israel today could really shake up that chessboard and move pieces very quickly into position uh, for the last days, um, the emergence of the Antichrist and the end of the age. Obviously, we're watching Iran very carefully. We know Iran is behind a lot of these attacks. They are masterminding it. They are funding it. <clears throat> and uh, uh, they are developing a nuclear weapon, and they have said they will use it. And... Uh, We'll see what happens, whether this conflict opens up beyond just Gaza. Um, there's already a lot of talk about uh, Hezbollah in, in Lebanon coming across Israel's northern border. That would make it a two-front conflict. Syria is already uh, in the mix as well, so that could make it a three-front conflict. And then you have the area of the West Bank, um, just outside of Jerusalem, between Jerusalem and the Jordan River. That could make it a four-front conflict. And uh, if Iran gets into the mix, um, directly they are they are involved in the mix but if they get in directly um, that could really open up things in a in a, uh, a horrible uh, set of events as a turn of events um, and then also turkey is in the mix watch turkey they have their naval ships uh, turkey has a very very formidable navy um, in the mediterranean and uh, the president of turkey uh, does not like israel uh, is anti-Israel, even though he tries to play nice once in a while for his own political benefits. Uh, he is, uh, he is anti-Semite. Anti he is uh, focused on Jerusalem and recapturing it for the Ottoman Turkish Empire. He's got naval ships um, that are there too. So there's so many components um, that are at play. So it's important that God's people keep a close eye on these things. Um, watch for any potential peace agreements that may arise and also be watching beyond that for some type of a reconstructed uh, temple structure uh, in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be a big grandiose temple that would take 
three or four or five years to construct. Uh, it could be something that goes up quickly, like a tabernacle structure. Um, but the Bible is clear that the sacrificial system of Israel um, will begin once again, and that when the Antichrist arises and moves into Israel uh, at the midpoint, he will cause that sacrifice and oblation to cease. Um, and that is in the middle of that final seven-year period of human history. So there's a lot to be watching for. It's important that God's people stay apprised, stay watching, and are praying. And, in, and I want you, and I reiterate it one more time, we can take political sides on things, and we can say we are, we are, uh, our position is rooted in Scripture, and I would concur that that's true. Our position is rooted in Scripture. Um, but we must also care deeply about all of the people that, that are involved, the innocent people that are involved in this conflict. Um, yes, there are many Palestinian people who are very sympathetic to Hamas and to their terrorist ways, um, but there are some people who are living in these areas that don't want anything to do with Hamas, just want to live their lives. They need Christ. And Jewish people in Israel need Christ. And that is, that is first and foremost. We can talk about all of the political things. We can talk about who's winning which battles. Um, Jesus Christ came to save sinners, and I am chief among them. So we all need Christ, and we all should be praying um, that many souls would be saved through these conflicts and uh, through these events, and that would turn their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. Thanks for listening to Bible Prophecy Daily. We hope you learned something valuable today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode.